Here now on the VIN News podcast, a real privilege to welcome a very special guest. Jonathan Tobin is editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate, senior contributor to The Federalist, columnist for Newsweek, and one of the most brilliant and eloquent writers that I think I've ever come across. Mr. Tobin, as I said, it's a real privilege to welcome you here. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Sorry about a little bit of gushing, but like I said, I'm very <laughs> excited. This is a thrill. Well, all right. You know, flattery will get you nowhere, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you and thank you for what you said. Let's begin with RFK Jr., who, as we all know, made very controversial comments, essentially saying that Ashkenazi Jews are more immune to COVID than other ethnic groups. You wrote a column entitled, Did RFK Jr. Cross the Line Between Unwise and Anti-Semitic? And your take, from what I could see, really one of the only balanced and objective approaches that I saw where, and I'll obviously let you discuss it, but you essentially made the point that regardless of what the intent was of RFK's comments, it's really hard to have a lot of sympathy for him. So tell us your thoughts on this whole fiasco. Yeah, well, fiasco is a good word uh, to characterize it. Um, and I think even he, uh, uh, you know, understands that in a subsequent interview with JNS, which I would, you know, urge, urge our listeners to also read. He seems to, you know, he understood that he needed to speak more carefully in the future. Yes. Um, so let, let me, you know, sort of make clear, you know, like most, you know, controversies in the age of the internet, Twitter, this one was, you know, is, is generally characterized as a stark thing. You know, RFK said something anti-Semitic, you know, down with RFK. Um, it's not as simple as that, but that doesn't mean he's innocent here. Um, he made comments, um, in the course of, uh, you know, a press event where, you know, apparently alcohol was flowing or something like that. <laughs> and he he was referencing some study that he claims to have read in which he claims that – and in the context was discussion of bioweapons, which supposedly can target ethno group, ethnic groups. Right. Which um, we know that, you know, America and China are, as, you know, Kennedy said, working on bioweapons. That's what countries do, uh, lamentably. Um, I'm not sure that they can target ethnic groups in that way uh, or, or do so easily. Uh, as he seems to suggest, but he, he, and then he illustrated this by saying, well, it's like COVID-19, which according to some study that he, he, he cited, although it's not clear that that study actually backed up what he said, um, that it, uh, targeted primarily, uh, Caucasians and African Americans and, um, that Chinese and Ashkenazi Jews were less vulnerable to it. Now, number one, it's not clear that that study, that one study that he cited actually backed up that conclusion. Right. Number two, anyone who, you know, with, whose memory extends beyond, you know, the day before yesterday <laughs> can recall <laughs> that COVID, you know, unlike our, our, our assumptions in, in March 2020, when we were all you know, afraid that, you know, the world was coming to an end and it would be like the influenza epidemic of, of 1919 and it didn't kill everybody, you know, and, and cut a swath through the, the population of the world. It primarily attacked um, um, the elderly and those with um, pre-existing serious, uh, con you know, health conditions and especially older people in ill health. And we also know, especially those of us in the Jewish community, know that elderly Jews, especially in the greater New York area, uh, were particularly 
at risk. And the death toll among the Jewish community um, in, in terms of uh, older people and people who were ill or had, you know, as they say, comorbidities was, was terrible. I mean, we all know people, I'm sure, you as well as I, who were fit into those categories and who died. Yes. Lots of them. Uh, but in, in, in perhaps even more so than other communities. Um, so what he said is just, you know, stupid. <laughs> it, it, it's just wrong. It's also true um, that when people start talking about, you know, plagues, as, as COVID was or as it was perceived, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, in which some groups are, you know, are, are you know, are exempt that is really an anti-Semitic trope that dates back to the Black Death of the 14th century. That, that you know, the, the idea that the Jews are somehow manipulating the world so that other people are are, are, are killed and Jews are spared, like the, you know, and, and it even applies to you know modern day myths about you know Jews getting a warning to leave the World Trade Center, you know, before September 11th, um, which was a lie. Right. Uh, but one that uh, had a lot of uh, legs, as they, as we say in the news business, and you know, especially in the Muslim and Arab world, and it's that's kind of the same thing. So when you invoke, you know, um, conclusions like like uh, the ones that RFK, uh, the one that RFK uh, put forward in this ridiculous statement, you're, you're playing with fire. This does give ammunition to anti-Semites. It's something that serious people shouldn't do especially people who are running for president. Um, so he was very wrong to do that. Now, does that mean he's an anti-Semite? No. Um, the content, and, and I say that not because, you know, he has friends in the Jewish community who, or friends that he has made as he's run for president in the Jewish community, <laughs> former people like Rabbi Shmuley Boteach and uh, Zionist Organization of America President uh, Mort Klein, both of whom reached out to me in the days, you know, the days after this, um, you know, dust-up started because he had reached out to them and to who defended him because he's a friend of Israel. Um, you know, he's not an anti, you know, it's because the context was clearly not anti-Semitic. He didn't, he didn't put, put it forward as a conspiracy theory con- contrary to the uh, the, the headline about this in the New York Times and many other liberal corporate media, um, he didn't intend this as a, as a conspiracy theory or as an anti-Semitic slur against Jews. It was just something stupid that he said. Um, <laughs> and don't you hate when that happens? Don't you hate when you're a lifelong conspiracy theorist and then the one thing that you say that is not a conspiracy theory from the context like you say, but sure sounds like one, and then everybody goes yeah. and assumes that this is one of those. And it's I've been, a conspiracy theory. And uh, as yeah. you just said, RFK Jr. is, you know, he's he's led, I mean— let him live and be well, and you know he has every right to run for president, like anybody, like any other you know American citizen who qualifies. Um, <laughs> but you know he he has led a a so we say a colorful life in terms of his personal life, and, you know his past as a heroin addict, and he's also been a terrible conspiracy monger. He's 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 promoted conspiracy all sorts of conspiracy theories about vaccines long before. 
his actually quite sensible criticisms of um, government COVID policies during the pandemic. You know, he was right about, you know, it's not everything he says is, you know, a lot of what he has said in the past and even now is bunk, you know, but he was right and is right to criticize government COVID policies. The lockdowns were a disaster, it did more harm than good. And the, the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates were equally misguided. So he's, he's not wrong about everything. But he's been wrong about a lot of other things. And he's also has a history of, you know, quite frankly, notwithstanding the, the, um, the, the Jews, including people who I'm, I respect and I'm friendly with, who swear to his bona fides as a friend of Israel. He's, he's in the past. He's flirted with, with anti-Israel figures. He's met with Farrakhan. He, you know, he, he, you know, he endorsed Roger Waters, the, right. you know, pink, the the rock star who is is a virulent anti-Semite when he came under attack for a recent performance in Berlin where he dressed up as an SS officer. And then afterwards he said, oh, he had no idea that Roger Waters was, um, you know, was an anti-Semite and an Israel hater. And it's like the only people who can fit into that category are people who actually don't know anything about rock music or popular <laughs> culture. I mean, outside of people who actually wall themselves off from popular culture, as, as, you know, some people do in the Jewish community and elsewhere. You know, he's like the only person on the planet who didn't know that, who, <laughs> who knows who Roger Waters is. Right. Um, and who thought that, who didn't know that he hates Israel. I mean, you know, it's like, if you, if, as, as I said to a couple of the people who called me to defend RFK, if you believe that, then, you know, sell me a bridge while you're at it. <laughs> um, so, you know, he has no credibility here. So he kind of just, he got a pacing for this and he deserved it. Right. But that doesn't mean he's an anti-Semite or this is, you know, and, and, and as I also noted in the piece, because you have to put things in context, the reason for the, you know, great interest in, in dunking him over this has nothing to do with, you know, people defending the Jews. It's because, um, sort of the liberal corporate media is very interested in, um, shutting him up uh, over his criticisms of Biden over COVID policies and of the Ukraine war and in, you know, making clear that, you know, Ben Kennedy is the only serious challenger to Biden next year in, in next year's Democratic primaries. Now, granted, as I also noted in the column, uh, the Democratic race is set, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not a fair, you know, they've set it up so that Biden will win. Um, but still Kennedy's scoring more than 20% in the polls among Democrats, so he can cause some trouble. So uh, the the reason for the eagerness on the part of many people on the left and liberals, including pro-Israel liberals, there are still some, um, you know, they, they want they want to shut him up for reasons other than the fact that he's a foolish, you know, former, cons- you know, conspiracy, yeah, no, they definitely, conspiracy They view him as a threat, and, you know, they saw Trump come out of nowhere in 2016 with a lot of uh, unorthodox conventional views. So, agreed. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's polling way, way higher than anybody should be against an incumbent president, albeit a, a train wreck of a president in this particular case. Yes. But, but the proof that you're about your point, which is clear, so obvious anyway, that the people who are attacking him have no interest in defending Jews and have an ulterior motive is the same. Many of the same media outlets that have lambasted RFK and just totally blasted him have no problem with with Jayapal, have no problem with uh, the squad members and these radical left who who have boycotted, you know, the Israeli president and who have called Israel a racist state. Like you literally see the dichotomy right before our eyes. 
how they have no problem promoting these radical BDS supporting anti-Israel leftists, and yet RFK is the one that they're going crazy about. Yes. Um, uh, you know, the, the deal here is that um, the Democratic Party is split between two factions right now. On the one hand, um, radical Democrats, you know, sort of the intersectional left, which is where all the energy in the Democratic Party is right now, really, you know, views Israel as an expression of white privilege, an oppressive apartheid state. And moderate Democrats, who still have most of the power, you know, and, the, you know, it's kind of a generational divide. And, you know, Joe Biden is an example of this. They think support for Israel should be conditioned on whether Israel kowtows to American diktats, whether it's the peace process with the Palestinians or about judicial reform in Israel, which they hypocritically and falsely characterize as an anti-democratic uh, move. Um, right. That was made clear just within the last, you know, 24 hours with the publication of a column by New York Times columnist uh, Tom Friedman, who had an interview with Biden on the eve of the Herzog visit, in which um, Biden made it very clear that um, the, the future relationship with Israel hinges on whether um, you know Netanyahu succeeds in uh, in judicial reform, because you know th- there is saying you know he, he was saying that the um, the alliance is embodied by the common values with the Israeli protesters, the people who are you know trying to overturn the results of uh, last November's Israeli election and thwart a, a democratically elected majority in curbing the power of an out of you know of an out of control Israeli Supreme Court. Actually, you know they want to make Israel more democratic, uh, not less democratic. But you know that's and and. You know, Biden at the same time, Biden, you know, was trying to curb the power of a much less powerful U.S. Supreme Court. So there's so much hypocrisy here. But essentially, um, the pro-Israel Democrats and Friedman characterized probably rightly Biden as, you know, probably the last pro-Israel Democratic president, or at least along uh, along those terms, um, as you know, because. You know, they're just saying, you know, the the alliance can't continue if the majority of Israelis are allowed to govern, which is what we're saying, you know, nationalist, conservative and religious uh, people who now form, you know, the majority or, you know, close, you know, close to a majority, if not the majority. And they, you know, they won the last election. So um, that's that's a real problem. That that is a formula for a crack up of the pro-Israel consensus bipartisan pro-Israel consensus in this country. Yeah, yeah. And that happens even though the date, you know, the events of the last few days would have seemed to show that, you know, that pro-Israel consensus is still very much intact by the, you know, the, uh, you know, the uh, very nice reception that President Herzog got. And even the willing, you know, the, the fact that the Republicans maneuvered, you know, the majority of the Democrats into condemning uh, Pramilia Jayapal, whom you noted, um, who is the chairman, the head of the Progressive Caucus in the House of Representatives, which uh, is comprised not just of a few members like the squad, um, which we all know about, but the Progressive Caucus is 103 members. There are about half the Democratic Caucus in the House. Wow. And she called Israel a racist state. Yeah, I don't know if everybody understands that. The Progressive Caucus is not just you know a handful of people who gather for lunch. 103 <laughs> members affiliate with it. That's a great point. Um and um, 
you know, she said Israel was a racist state and then she walked it back and then she walked back or walking back. Um, but in the end, Democrats, including her, had to uh, agree to a resolution saying that didn't mention her, but said that Israel isn't a racist or apartheid state and will continue to support it just because they don't want to be put in the position of voting for, you know, a smear of Israel's a racist state, because even though he's sort of the majority of the left, you know, the, the energy, as I said, on the left uh, among Democrats is all with the intersectional, you know, critical race theory crowd. Um, the majority of Americans are still pro-Israel. Um, if they're going to win, if the Democrats are going to win the election next year. They need independent voters, independent voters who like Israel. I'm not saying Israel is going to be the issue on which, you know, the presidential election is decided. But the more Democrats demonstrate, you know, that they're enthralled to the radicals, as I might add, President Joe Biden has been, even though he was elected as the moderate who would prevent the, the, the radicals from running the country, you know, because everybody was – the Democrats feared that Bernie Sanders would be their nominee against Trump in 2020. So they nominated Biden, who, you know, spent the year hiding in his basement. <laughs> um, you know, he's he's actually governed from the left. He's let the left have their way in his administration in, in all sorts of ways, which are terribly dangerous for this country and, in fact, are – in some ways are much more important than a lot of the other, you know, things like his orders in, you know, imposing, um, sort of the woke catechism of diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is the opposite of, uh, of equality, um, on every government agency and department, which I happen to believe is, is the worst thing he's done as, you know, he's done a lot of terrible things in this, in, in his presidency is the Afghanistan disaster, you know, the pursuit of Iran, um, messing up, you know, the Russia-Ukraine thing, really almost welcoming, you know, setting up, uh, you know, the disaster that happened there, and as well as inflation, the economy, you know, we yeah, go on the border, a uh, long but list. I actually think the, the long-term implications for this country of sort of imposing this woke sort of destruction of our values and this war against the West has, has, is, is actually far more far-reaching and more dangerous in the long run than than even those you know really yeah, that you know, admittedly disa- makes, disastrous makes decisions. a lot a lot of sense. Getting uh, getting back to RFK just for a moment because you mentioned something earlier that I was mm-hmm. certainly not aware of that Rabbi Shmuley Boteach and Mort Klein both reached out to you. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those conversations were like? Well, I mean, they you know they just were swearing to. Um, I'm not saying anything that was said to me off the record. I mean, they were very public with their their statements. Sure. They said the same things to me, you know, in messages um, that they said in public. They, you know, Bobby Kennedy is a friend of Israel, a friend of the Jewish people. Um, that's their story, and they're sticking to it. And you know, for the purposes of this election, um, that would be a smart thing for him to be. Right? <laughs> yeah, because if he's if he's going to run as the pro-Israel candidate. Um, running against the hard left, that, that's a smart play. But, but right. Even what, though he is himself a man of the left and in many ways kind of an extremist on a lot of issues like the environment, far more extreme than, than Biden. Right. Yeah. I guess what troubled me was just that, you know, even if he is assuming that he is a friend of Israel and, you know, uh, somebody referred to him as a philo Semite, maybe more client, the fact that he, I don't recall him showing any remorse and I, 
uh, watch basically an entire interview he did with Rabbi Botech. Even the JNS uh, interview that, yes, we definitely encourage people to check out, which you alluded to, you know, the quotes that I saw were more like, oh, wow, you know, I see now this had a big impact and maybe some remorse over the result of it, but not like, wait a second, I said something yeah, dangerous sorry, and I said caught. something. He's not sorry he did Right, you know, right. Typical. <laughs> so, so, right. So like Rabbi Shmuley and, and more Klein, who, with, you know, whom I have a lot of respect for, uh, you know, that's what's troubling. As do, is, I. As do I, of course. Um, you know, and Mort is a friend. I mean, so I'm not, you know, I'm not, oh, yeah, not yeah. knocking him. Understood. But, you know, and listen, it's kind of, you know, you know to invoke Rabbi Boteach, he, you know, I, I wrote a piece about this earlier in the year. Rabbi Boteach has sort of latched on to Andrew Cuomo in the same way, saying he's a friend of Israel. You know, he's a friend of the Jews. He's going to run against the left. That's why he's sort of uh, supporting his his uh, seeming uh, effort, which hasn't been announced, perhaps to run against Senator Christine Gillibrand next year for the Senate, because he's determined to, um, you know, uh, have a political comeback. He's not accepting the verdict of his uh, disgrace. Um, and, you know, he does so on the same basis. It's a very transactional view of politics. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think it, it, there's a rationale for it. But it also, you know, makes a lot of assumptions. And sometimes, you know, yes, politics makes strange bedfellows, but you have to also have your eyes open and not not be, I think, um, I, I think there's an argument that um, sort of going all in on people under these circumstances, especially, you know, with Kennedy, who is a problematic past, is maybe not the smartest. Yeah. Okay. Just before I let you go, just getting back to Israel for a moment, and all you know, you mentioned some really, really very important points there. Uh, your colleague, I guess Caroline Glick, uh, talked about uh, in a column, I believe today or yesterday, talked about Robert Malley, who, of course, you know, even yeah. though he has having some issues now, but um, but he has been the envoy and the spokesperson both for Obama and for President Biden, and she quoted a, a study and analysis that was put out by Emmett. I guess this week showing that Mali is really mm-hmm. a product of radical anti-American upbringing and that his radical v- views have become like the mainstream views of the Democrat Party. Thanks to Obama. She, the, the, her quote was until Obama rose to power, a man with Mali's pedigree and professional record would never have received security clearance. And now his positions have become <laughs> the establishment position of the Democrat yeah, Party. I mean, Mali is an interesting, ca- you know, he's an interesting story. Um, and he, I wouldn't I wouldn't count him out, even though he seems to have. An unspecified, you know, uh, you know, he's lost his security clearance for reasons that nobody seems willing to, uh, you know, to, um, yeah, to uh, explain. Um, but Maybe he's the one who broke cocaine to the White House. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, just kidding. I don't think he's the main suspect. Just <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah. I won't name any names. No, no, but, I don't know who um, you could you know, listen. Mally goes back. Mally served, you know, with Clinton. And Mally was there at the, at the, you know, Camp David summit in 2000 where Barack, uh, Ehud Barak and, um, Bill Clinton offered Yasser Arafat a state. You know, Pal, you know, Arafat said no, famously, and then answered with a terrorist war of attrition that fall, uh, the Intifada. Uh, and Mally, you know, blamed, you know, and Clinton, you know, for all of his faults, you know, blamed Arafat bitterly for the failure of that summit. Um, as, yeah. as Clinton said, you know, you cost me, a, you know, he feels he, he was he was cheated out of a Nobel, Nobel. Peace right. Prize that right. he wanted uh, because of that. But Malley took Arafat's side in the aftermath of that. 
Um, you would think that would be kind of disqualifying, take, you know, supporting the terrorists <laughs> against the American president who was a pro peace process president. You know, he was, you know, he's supporting the Israeli left. Uh, but that's who Mali is. I mean, that sums up everything you have to know about Mali can be told in that one little story. And, you know, he's an ardent advocate for rapprochement with, for not just for another dangerous, you know, even more dangerous nuclear deal with Iran. But for reorienting American foreign policy away from traditional allies like Israel and even Saudi Arabia towards a, you know, a rapprochement and better relations with Iran. Now, that's, you know, I think to many of our listeners, that sounds insane. But that is what Obama (laughs) wanted. And honestly, that's what Biden wants, too. And he's sort of, you know, it's failed so, so far because the Iranians, you know, just have nothing but contempt for Biden and the Americans because they're getting whatever they want, even without that. Um, but um, that's who Bo- Robert Malley is. He's a da- he's dangerous in of himself. And, you know, I, I urge, you know, our listeners to read Caroline's column as well as her, her columns all the time. They're great, you know, and we're very proud to have her at JNS.org. But um, he's symbolic of the shift within the Democratic Party, as you say, and in the left towards this, you know, intersectional and uh, you know hard left view of Israel and the Jewish people that um, you know is, is basically anti-Zionist, and that's the real problem here. You know, it's not just the not just the the, the policies of the moment; is that this trend really, um, you know, shows, uh, you know, where we're going in terms of, you know, the left uh, the side of the spectrum in the United States in terms of um, views of Israel. It's not, you know, frustration about the peace process or sympathy for the poor Palestinians and, you know, ignorance about their support for terrorism and continued refusals to accept peace. Um, it's a view of Israel as a an expression of white privilege, as an oppressor state in principle. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's why ideas like critical race theory and intersectionality are basically permission slips for anti-Semitism. And, you know, when mm. people on the left are embracing those ideas, and unfortunately, even those Jewish organizations that are supposed to be defending us against anti-Semitism, like the Anti-Defamation League, just to pull a name out of the hat, <laughs> when they... Yeah. Uh, when they uh, give their okay to these toxic theories to stay in sync with their liberal allies, um, they are granting a permission slip to anti-Semitism and setting us up for a future where the left is not just critical of Israel, but really against the Jewish people. I, I don't know if I ever heard anybody link the two that quite that way, and it's a great point, and you're 100% right now that I think about it. It's terrifying. Yeah, this is this is the real problem. It, it's, you know, we get caught up in, you know, certainly those of us who are journalists like me, you know, in the news of the moment and this issue and that, you know, that stupid thing that someone said or that bad policy that is being promoted. But these are the underlying ideas that set in motion trends that portend real the real problem here. It, it's not just misguided policies. It's toxic ideas and ideologies that are fueling this turn against the Jews, this turn against Israel. Yeah, okay. On that note, Jonathan Tobin, uh, I could listen to you all day and all night. Um, anything that we want to plug? We mentioned, we well, mentioned all I, the different... I, I, yeah. I urge everybody to read JNS.org. Me uh, too. Go there for... 
you know, we, we publish, you know, like 30 articles a day with, uh, you know, I think, you know, if you want to know what's going on in Israel and within the Jewish world, um, free of the, the sort of left wing bias that you would get, say, in the New York Times and even some Anglo, um, you know, exactly. you know English language uh, Jewish publications, I go to JNS.org. Also, we have podcasts. Um, for you know, because people listen to podcasts now about <laughs> these idea about these events. Um, my own top story po- podcast, which is an hour long every week, as well as daily versions of the podcast, where I talk about you know a few issues each week. Uh, you know, and so uh, go there. You can get it. You know, go to the JNS channel on whatever podcast platform you like, or on YouTube, the JNS TV pro um, uh, channel. And you can really get a lot of content that keeps you informed about what's going on in the Jewish world and Israel in a way. You know, it's sort of like nobody has publishes more information than the New York Times, but nobody is less informed about the world than the readers <laughs> of the New York Times. Um, I think if you read JNS every day, um, you're really in tune with what is actually going on. It, it's really and true. And, and, and no, no hyperbole, it is probably the only option or one of very, very few of those types of topics, Jews, Judaism, Israel, that you can get pure, unadulterated facts and get the truth and, 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 and not, not some kind of bias. 100%. Well, thanks very much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and, this has been um, super entertaining, insightful. Really yeah, very refreshing. Your candy, your clarity. I mean... Uh, this has been an amazing experience, and I appreciate I hope we can do it again sometime. Jonathan Tobin, editor-in-chief right, for JNS, senior contributor to Federalist, columnist for Newsweek, podcast host, and a lot more on the VIN News Podcast.